Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're taking you on a journey back in time with the Langoliers from 1995, uh, written and directed, written and directed by Tom Holland. No, not that one. Oh, another Tom Holland. <laughs> well, he wasn't, I don't think, alive then. A taller Tom Holland. Maybe. Tom Holland's not tall. Short, is he? I always presume that a Spider-Man is short, but who knows? All right. Before we get into this movie, which I have actually quite a bit of things to say about, how was your week? My week was actually pretty good. It was very busy. There was a lot of work getting done. Um, but there wasn't much to talk about, unfortunately. It's not like I went out and did something exciting. Fine. It yes. was fine. No, no, no. It's always good. I always have a good time. I get to see my friends. Now, you had a much more exciting weekend because you got to go out of town. I did. I went down to Salinas. I played board games with a friend, and then I came back. And then I bought a lot of supplies. Baking supplies. I'm so looking at you supplies. across the no man's land. It's just, um, it's just butter and flour and sugar out there. The things that make life really worthwhile. Yes. So much butter, flour, and sugar. And wine. There's wine on the table left over from... That's the wine I have to return. Oh, I'm sorry. That's sad wine. Okay. Sad wine. You want to talk about this movie? No, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it, okay. Before we get started, uh-huh. I need to make a confession. Okay. That is, as the, as the games, or as the names were scrolling, I thought something. And what I thought was, cousin. That is what I thought. I'll tell you why. Because I saw the name, Mark Lindsay Chapman. You know who Mark Lindsay Chapman is not? Who? Mark Lynn Baker. Oh. So I, and then when Bronson Pinchot's name came up, I was like, they're both on here? That's wild. But no, they're not. Because Mark Lindsay Chapman is 100% not Mark Lynn Baker. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm older than you. These are the two stars of a television show from the 1980s called Perfect Strangers. 80s, 90s. Both? Maybe, maybe, a, you maybe. Know, I a... seem to remember it when I was in high school that it was on. Okay. Um, so maybe early 90s. So that is a deeply problematic show now, starring Bronson Pinchot as a man from another country with a very bad accent and his uh, living with his cousin in the in America and learning about American ways. And there's like a odd couple foreign American <laughs> don't know. situation. I, I, I now that I'm thinking it. about it, I'm just like, I, woof, this show would not, could not be made today. I, Although I, Bob Hart's Abishola is on television on CBS, so maybe it can be made today uh, and I I'm wrong. I never watched this show. Oh, okay. I, I did watch it when I was little. I knew about it, of course, because it was everywhere. And there was a lot of... Um, I'm pretty sure that show ruined Bronson Pinchot's career. Yeah, Bronson Pinchot was very popular for a while. He was everywhere, and he was making guest appearances in other programs like this, but he was always playing the same character. He wasn't the same character in this. Right. He was and always he wasn't a, the same character in, I want to say, like a 48 Hours or a Stakeout movie or something like that. He was in one of those. But he was considered a star at the time, and he every character I saw him play because I didn't know him from Perfect Strangers seemed to be a jerk. That was his thing. Mm. Yes, so his character in that show, his name was Balky Bartokamus, mm-hmm. or Bartokamus. He was a weirdo from a Mediterranean island that doesn't exist, but he was definitely leaning into like a weird Greek stereotype combined with Latka. That was a little right. bit of Latka from uh, Taxi, Taxi uh, the Andy Kaufman character mm-hmm. mixed in, who was also sort of indeterminately foreign. <laughs> like, we don't know. He, 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 he says he comes from a place that does not exist. Right. So just this weird thing. And then he, um, let me find the movie that I'm thinking of. Oh, he did a stint on The Young and the Restless in 2008 which is a wild bit of information. Okay. Um, Langoliers, 
Oh, he was in the. Oh, he was the prankster in Lois and Clark. Here's what will ruin your your whole career. Okay, Perfect Strangers went from 1986 to 1993, so I was uh, right, okay. and it ran for a very long time. He in 1993 he then started a new TV show, a new sitcom. It looks like that only ran seven episodes called The Trouble with Larry. Now here's the problem with that: Larry was cousins was it was cousin Larry was his friends or his was his cousin's name so he went from being on a show for seven years uh-huh. wherein his the the other lead was Larry to going to a show called the trouble with Larry starring as Larry this is very much like it's it's <laughs> this is weird because you're not going to understand this either um this is the Jared Padalecki effect. So Jared Padalecki starred in Gilmore Girls as Dean, her first boyfriend, Lori's first boyfriend. Then he went on to star in Supernatural. And his brother's name is Dean. Like he's not, there's a Dean in that show and it's not him. And I'm just like, why are we doing this? First of all, you could have just switched those characters' names. Why would you, or change it entirely? Why would you bring someone in who has been known to a large pop per, a large audience who you want to watch this thing and then use the same name for a different character? Is his brother's name Jan? No, he didn't have a brother when he was Dean. And his name in the show is, I should know this. I've seen many seasons of Supernatural, and I legitimately cannot come up with Jared Padalecki's character's name. A lifetime ago, I saw the first episode, and I have never watched it since. Um, The show was wild and really... Oh, his name is Sam. Sam and Dean. So not Jan and Dean, but freaking close. (laughs) Um, So yeah, this thing of don't... If somebody is known for something where there are like two character names mm-hmm. and they go on immediately to another thing where there are two character names, either give them the same character name or get rid of that character name and right. pull in a new See, name. Just, Although when your show is called The Trouble with Larry, it's, I guess, hard to change the name of I just character. felt like he was the most... And again, I never saw Perfect Strangers, so I don't know what the appeal of his... Uh, his what his appeal was, rather, with audiences. But he was awful in this movie, and everyone's just a little bit off. They're on one note too intense. I don't think that he is awful in this movie. You don't think that he's I awful? D- I mean... We saw the same movie. Ob- objectively, yes, he is awful. Right. What he is doing is not good. Subjectively, <laughs> I think... He was trying to do anything because honestly, the other, what was happening around him was pretty flat. And he was like, we have to make this pe- these people tune in again tomorrow. Right. So let me give them something interesting to do. And also, I don't blame, like this, this kind of, Complete overacting. Uh-huh. I don't put the blame entirely on the actor because there is a director there. It's why I d- actually don't really blame Mark Wahlberg for his terrible happening performance. Okay. I put that blame, I split it between him and M. Night Shyamalan, who is notoriously uh, tight fisted with his control of a set. At any point, he could have come over to Mark and been like, yo, stop it. And he didn't do it, not once. So it's on both of them now. Or he might have told him to do that. What I don't really understand is, and I don't remember the book. I've, I know I read it, but I read it in high school. So it's been, you know, decades. And the whole time I was watching this, I was like, when do we find out that this dude has a brain tumor? Because he looked actively ill the entire time. He had huge bags under his eyes. Mm-hmm. He is a like a swarthy man. He's a man of darker complexion. Mm-hmm. He but he was as pale as he could be and it made him look very sickly and he was also sweating 
most of the time. And I was just like, so brain tumor, right? Like this dude is either having a mental breakdown that has led him to not sleep for, I don't know, conservatively ever, or he's there's something deeply, deeply wrong with him. And he is manipulated by one of the other characters uh, mentally, and we don't know why that's possible. Well, either. there's a lot of... And maybe we should talk about the film first, because yeah. we, I have to get into the issues that I have with it, because it's a very problematic kind of film. That, and also, it, to me, was just really poorly put together. This whole thing could have happened in one episode. Right. We watched it, both episodes. Uh-huh. It's two episodes. The runtime is uh, three hours. Right. I think they could have done it, and it could have been good in an hour and 50 minutes. And also, with not with... 1995 wasn't ready. CGI in 1995 for the budget that they had I'll put all of those in there because mm-hmm. there was some good mm-hmm. Toy Story came out in 1995 mm-hmm. like, or 1994. So effects were getting good. Mm-hmm. The effects that they paid for weren't good. Well, and the yeah. way, I don't think the, the the director visualized the situation well. So what we see of the Langoliers, the titular Langoliers, is not threatening, really. Well, it's, yeah, and again, we'll, we'll talk more about that, and yeah. also the airplane shots that you didn't like so much. <laughs> yeah. But, okay. but um, yeah, I just, just last week I was watching an episode of the original Outer Limits. Okay. And you watched, what, the first 10 minutes with me, or you I don't, saw which, I was when, when was it? I don't It I don't. was uh, the other night, and it was in black and white, and it was... Mm-hmm. Creepy, and someone wanders into a dark house, and there's a glowing brain in it. But it oh, right. felt so, yeah, like I, I an episode of Outer Limits. Oh, okay. Those were, what, 50 minutes long and got the exact same point across. It would have had all the science fiction elements. It would have been a hell of a lot creepier because even the beginning of that episode was creepier than anything that happened. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> there was nothing scary or weird. or It, it felt uh, like a mediocre Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, there. and because it was sort of stretched out, there were all these scenes that, that we're supposed to understand that time is short and mm-hmm. there is a, there should be a sense of urgency. Right. And none of these, well, one of these characters has a sense of urgency. And there's just a well, lot maybe of, two of them, but they have different senses. A of lot of exposition. Yes. And a lot of it was very. Well, go ahead. And it Why was like start? it was like somebody yeah. was like, "But I love that scene from the book, so we're going to do yes. it here." And it was like, "No, but don't though." Right. Um, okay, so we start with David Morse, and he's getting off of a plane, and he gets some bad news, mm-hmm. and that bad news is that his ex-wife has passed away, and so they put him on. As a jump, uh, they don't put him in the jump seat, but they they deadhead him, mm-hmm. which is when they fr- fly airline pa- personnel back to where they came from. They they're not working, uh, but they don't have to pay from L.A. to Boston. So that's where the flight is going. So David Morse is there, and he is in the passenger. They put him in coach instead of in the cockpit, which is an odd choice, but. Uh, so he's in coach, and he uh, snuggles up and goes to sleep. And then we see a few other people. Uh, we see Craig Toomey, that is Bronson Pinchot's character, who um, we understand has lost a great deal of money for his mm-hmm. company and is now going in front of the board of that company at the Prudential Center. It's at the Prudential Center, and he needs to get to the Prudential Center in Boston. There we go. So... Uh, he he's lost forty three million dollars for his company, which today seems like such a small amount of money, which is wild. Because if I had forty three million dollars, I'd literally never have to work again. Yes, I'd be set for life. Um, and we come to find out that he has lost that money intentionally. But we'll get to it. He is unconcerned about the meeting itself, but does need to get there. Like he's mm-hmm. not scared. He's not trepidatious going into it. And like I said, he looks. Sick. He is sweaty. He is pale. He has big bags under his eyes. I don't know if they've over, um, 
makeuped him or under makeuped him. It's unclear to me. Like, it's just, he looks, he looks bad. Um, so those are the really the two people. Oh, and there's a blind girl with her aunt. Uh, her name is Dinah. We don't know that yet, though. Um, and those are really the few people that we see. We don't see many more people than that on this flight. And then um, we see that Dinah, the young blind girl, uh, she wakes up and she asks her aunt um, a question and her aunt's not there. And she feels around and she can't find her. And so she gets up and she starts walking through the cabin. And now we see the cabin and there's nobody, there's like very few people in it. And she, and we see that there's like detritus though, like right. change, um, jewelry, glasses, uh, things like that. Yeah. It comes out to be bridge work. And she puts her hand on somebody's wig and she screams because she thinks it's somebody's scalp. Right. So she screams and wakes everybody else who's there up. And Brian Engel, he's our pilot, and he's the, the David Morse character. Um, he's there, as well as Nick Hopewell, who is a mysterious Englishman. He's a spy, y'all. How often can you say that? He's our James Bond. Uh, Laurel Stevenson, she's a school teacher. She's on vacation. Turns out she's going to meet a man she's never met before to probably be murdered. It's like way before Craigslist well, we can't even. say probably to be murdered because <laughs> no, that's not an element of the plot. But yes, that seems very likely that <laughs> she's, she's not, for a school teacher, she's not especially, uh, she doesn't catch on very quickly. No, things. she doesn't. Don Gaffney, that's Frankie Faison, our singular black person in this film. Right. He's a tool and die worker. He's on his way to meet his granddaughter. Albert Costner, uh, who is a violin student on his way to Berkeley School of Music. Bethany Sims is a young lady who uh, is going to visit her aunt, who, but who she believes will be put into rehab when she gets there. What we know of her mostly is that she has a belly button. She does. She's wearing a midriff top. And that she's not wearing a bra. That's true too, because those there's are, a lot those of are her nipples character in traits. her. In, yes, that and the fact she has an unfortunate choice in white girl dreads going on. Yeah, she does. I didn't even realize they were dreads until the second part, and I was like, that, that "Oh no!" That tells you how well done this film is. You didn't realize the character had dreads until the second part, and that's not on you. That's on, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. then Bob Jenkins, who's played by Dean Stockwell, he's the mystery author. I guess he's our Stephen King stand-in. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And Dinah Bellman, who is the young blind girl, she's on her way to undergo some sort of surgery. Yes. Uh, then we also have Sleepy Rudy. <laughs> Rudy Warwick, a perpetually sleepy businessman with a ravenous appetite. So now we should mention about Dinah. First of all, don't name your child Dinah. Uh, second of all, Dun, 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 dun. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. <laughs> I'm like, what's in my head? And I couldn't think of Old the words. Old Testament character who's most famous for being raped, actually. Oh, no. That's terrible. And then her brothers get revenge by slaughtering her rapist and her rapist's family and his entire town. That's where, where Dinah comes Dinah from. has the shining. Right. Well, Dinah is magicapped, which is yes. a term that we will use for Stephen King movies where handicapped people somehow have magical powers. Oh, we're going to see it in Dead It. So we're going to see it in The Green Mile. Yeah. Right. But she's also definitely got the same thing that Danny had. Right. So she's got the shining. And, and yeah, see Dr. Sleep, see... The Shining Sea, really various to other be things. A, the Talisman, a little bit. Yeah. Stop. I highly recommend a film called um, Cinemability. is a really good documentary, but it brings up this point that handicapped people are often seen just as mm -hmm. having superpowers. And mm -hmm. this goes through the X Men, it goes through yeah. all sorts of and things. And you could do a whole nother show or, or, or movie looking at like people with bipolar disorder who. Mm -hmm. Are treated as if it's they a, have a superpower. It's a superpower, right? right. Or obsessive-compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. These things, yeah. Where, right. they're, yeah, their disorder makes them some sort of Sherlock or, right. you know, yeah. So, um, yeah, she definitely... And she has heightened senses, and she can hear things that they can't hear, but then later she full-on shines. Like well, she she's telepathic. Telepathically manipulates She's able to people. see the images that are happening in that Bronson Prince show. What was his character's name? Craig Toomey. Craig Balky, Toomey, whatever. So she's able to see, and the one really genuinely horrific image in the film 
is when she sees his way of seeing other people. Yes, so he's seeing people with these sort of like oily... It looks like they have a call around their face. Yes. And it's really disturbing, and that's the most disturbing image in the film. And sadly. they don't ever say why. Mm-hmm. Once again, I'm going to go back to... Brain tumor. Brain tumor? Right. Well, she says he has something in his head. She's able to distinguish... Yeah, okay, to, she does say that. ...to say that when she first passes him. It's, yes. As if she, she right at the very beginning, right. before we're even on the plane, there's something wrong with that man, there's something in his head. Right. Um... So maybe that is as close to brain tumor as mm-hmm. we're going to get. It is a tumor. So uh, she can't see, but she has x-ray vision, and she can read minds. And yeah. Later, she does something that I found vaguely sinister, frankly, but we'll talk more about yes, that later. Yes, yeah, no, that's right. Although, after what he had done. Mm. So the they decide as a group that they're going to go to bed. Well, they don't decide as a group. They're headed to Boston, but David Morse redirects them to Bangor because it is an, still an international airport mm-hmm. within the area that his uh, fuel can get him to. Uh-huh. But it's not as busy as Boston because they can't see anything. They, there's nothing on the radio. And there's like when they fly over Denver, there's no lights. And it's nighttime. It's right. a red eye flight. There's no lights. Um, for the airport or the city. And so they don't want to land where there may be population. They don't want to drop unannounced um, into busy flight lines, right. etc. So he reroutes them to Bangor. Also because this is a Stephen King story and they have to go to Maine. It's a rule. So they, la- they he ends up landing the plane. He's able to do that. Um... The airport, just like the plane, is deserted, but there isn't people things around. There's not change or anything like that. Um, And they're trying to figure out what to do. They find out that, or they, they, they sort of, they try and eat and everything just doesn't have a taste. Like, there's a whole discussion. These are one of many discussions of, it's not that it, because he goes, it's gone over, it's turned. Uh-huh. Um, and the other one, uh, someone else takes a bite and they they say, you know, it's not that it's bad, right. it's just nothing. Well, that's so it's the, like eating the, paper. The, there's a lengthy conversation and that's kind of my, you once said that the um, the problem with a second Matrix movie is that every scene went on too long. Yep, three minutes too long. And it felt like everything here mm-hmm. went on about five minutes too long. They were like, just it was like they didn't did trust end. you to understand where they were taking you. Mm-hmm. So they needed to explain everything right. in very upsetting, like very granular ways. Mm-hmm. So Bronson Pinchot's character, Craig, he starts, and he is a rich person and acts like a rich person, right? Mm-hmm. So he's demanding that he be taken to Boston because that is where the flight was supposed to go right. and he's going to sue everybody. And then he's just... And they basically knock him up out and tie him up because he's just belligerent and acting. Now, he's ranting and Nick nobody Nick Hopwell, over the course of this film, has stifled um, this businessman character yes. by physically threatening him, beating yeah. him up at yeah. one point. Yeah. Know, it's, and... He, and we see him also uh, doing this thing, this sort of self-stimming thing where he's tearing this paper. This Bronson Pinchot's character. Bronson right? Pinchot's mm-hmm. character. He does it on the plane, and then he does it later as well, and he's right. tearing it. And it's almost like an ASMR thing. It's unclear whether it's the sound or the action that is calming yeah. him. Um, but that's the, that, the, the characters here are so shallow mm-hmm. that that actually goes as far as character development in, yeah. in this Well, story. for him, we find uh-huh. out that he was... Deeply psychologically abused by his father, who clearly uh-huh. didn't love him. He's a real Don Trump Jr. character, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean, where right. you're like, oh, this guy's fucked up because he has a bad dad. Well, the similarity goes even further to that family because he also has a suit that doesn't fit. That's not wrong. He, he walks around, and it's, it's, I'm not sure if it was part of the, it's intended to be a part of a character or that he, his suit doesn't fit, almost like he's wearing his dad's suit, is what I kept thinking and going, oh, okay, well, that actually could be some kind of hint at what the character's issues are. Right. But he, yeah, he's a man with 
really brilliant creamed hair in an oversized suit who's mm-hmm. just shouting at the top shouting of his lungs constantly nearly every about single how day. everyone is inept and right. how he has he, he demands that they go to Boston and yeah. all of his dialogue is so one note it is tiresome he's quickly. at a 12 right. the whole time um now meanwhile in the background we Dean Stockwell's lurking around thinking He's a detective, or he's a mystery writer, mm-hmm. and so he said, well, he I... 40 books, or what was it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I deduce for a living, so he's, like, trying mm-hmm. to work out what's happened. The food and drink is tasteless, and um, everything's flat. Uh-huh. Like, all the sodas and beers are flat. That comes up later. Uh, and Dinah hears a noise. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know what it is, but she's like, it's coming, and it's bad. So... Finally, Dean Stockwell sort of thinks, oh, at the very beginning, they mentioned that there was an aurora borealis over the Mojave. Right. Which, um, that's that's not good, because that's not normal. Uh, well, it and it looks be. like we flew through it. In the it. future. It and so, good. right. And so Dean Stockwell thinks that when they passed through it, they entered a time rip, like a rift, a rift sending them a few minutes back in time. So they're slightly out of sync with time. Now, I didn't understand how this wound up working in the final film. Does that mean that everyone on the plane got off-boarded safely except for them? No. It means that when the plane went through the rift, Uh and these people were all asleep. That's the other thing. They were all asleep when the plane went through the rift. Something about them being asleep, and they don't explain it. It's never explained, but... That's sort of like when the when the rift ha- when they went through the rift, uh-huh. the plane got split into like awake and asleep, and the awake the people who were awake continued on. I want to know what happened on that plane if people just blinked out of existence. Right. If there are dead versions of them in, in this other Here's time. Now. Something we discussed when we discussed uh, the golden years. Yeah. Oh, Stephen time travels. King <laughs> is not a science fiction no. writer at all. No. No. He believes that a clock running backwards proves that time is going backwards. Right. There's a lot of that kind of science. Sleep protects you from time warps. Well, it's not that it protected them. It. But why is it that nothing... It actually didn't protect them. being Because aw- everybody else presumably is fine. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Are we don't know. Or, we'll never know. Right, because they're missing their and dentures. I don't think that they talk Somebody about it in the book. Somebody just gets through a time warp and they wake up and there's, their, their dentures are missing. That would be really inconvenient. No, I, my, I think what it posits is okay. that the way that time work, works is like a, a series of facsimiles or mm-hmm. copies. Okay. So all of your... Like your this this sweater mm-hmm. is only this sweater in this one moment, and then a new sweater is, it's a different sweater in the next moment. So if you shift by a couple of moments, you still have all of the things. Right. You just there's also physical remnants of the things as they were three minutes ago or so five minutes ago. So that's why or some whatever. dentures are sitting on the right. Side. Okay. Um. I don't know if that's. I think that you actually more thought this into is, it. This is this is this is how my brain has rationalized it. Okay. So you're just like you're like there's a constant copy, and like the present you is the top copy, uh-huh. right? Like if copies coming out of a printer, so if you get displaced, then there are now two versions. Of, of you, and all of the pieces that are attached to you, whatever that is, clothes, phys- like like we said, there were mm-hmm. was bridge work and things Pace that look like pacemakers, right. things that were physically inside people. It's not that those people don't have those anymore. All right. It's See, but they I don't got, have the same. I got mm-hmm. very confused about what he was trying to say. I don't understand why that would make the food flat or the beer flat or the soda. So that this. so when they land in Bangor, they're uh-huh. they're in the past. Okay. So what they're trying to eat is four photocopies down or five photocopies down, and it's already done. Like, it's not... So why does... Okay, never mind. Let's go back to the plot. Uh, This is... I'm guessing. Uh I am guessing, because the structure is not... Nothing seems to be explained We're not... Nothing is explained to us. Um, So the young girl is, is hearing the distant sounds of munching in the distance, and it turns out to be Chumbawamba. Well, no. And their one hit, uh, tub thumping, 
from the distance. Which is a shame because they were a very prolific anarchist group. There's a podcast about it. But so Craig's becoming more and more unstable and they lock him up somewhere. But well, they tie him up with sleepy right. Warwick is like, oh, he's fine and he's not fine. He breaks free and he gets a knife mm-hmm. and a gun. Well, I'm not he got a, the gun from a locker. That's right. That he seemed to be planning some kind of mass murder or and something. And he was gonna wait in the dark though for them uh, to come back. Right. And when um Don Gaffney and uh the kid, the violinist kid, go to find him, he stabs Don because of course he does. He kills the one black man in the movie. Um, and then and he says, "Wait, I'm not Scatman Crothers," and he falls <laughs> over dead. And then, and the violinist had put a toaster in a pillowcase or <laughs> something and made a, like a like uh, a swinging weapon, right? Which he uses uh, like a flail, and which he uses to fairly good effect to knock him out. And uh-huh. he thinks he kills him, so he's sitting there freaked out. And then Nick, the spy, comes and is like, "Well, he's not dead." You're fine. The kid, he's, but Don's dead at this point, and the kid, whatever. Yeah. So, and then they retie Craig to me up. Um, oh, no. But before that, okay. Craig's like descent starts with getting out. Uh-huh. He stabs. He attempts to shoot someone. He attempts to shoot one of the characters, um, Bethany Sims. And oh, that's right. Albert. He jumps he in the finds way. a gun right. and he he grabs Bethany, um, which is the young lady, right? Um, and is like, "Take me to Boston, or I'm gonna kill her." Basically. Right. Now, meanwhile, they've also just found that matches don't, don't light. light, so they realize that if they use the fuel from Boston, because they're out of fuel, the, fl- the plane that they were on is out of fuel, they use the fuel from Boston, it won't ignite. Right. Because the jet fuel is past and they need jet that. fuel. And they need, they need that to... load to, the plane to try to go back to the Because they thought, war. yeah, the way that we can get back is we have to go back through the rift. By the way, for people who are sensitive listeners that are going to be offended by this, it is a giant golden vagina in the sky. It does look like a vagina. Now, mind you, they so keep sparkly. bringing up this is the birthplace it's of bejazzled. life. Right? So I think we're meant to see it as a giant golden vagina in the sky. I mean, sure. Um, but yes, so go on. Um, tied up once after shooting somebody, then he gets free, he stabs somebody, he's tied up a second time, then he's hit in the head with a toaster. Very much like we're watching Scrooge. Oh, but he shoots. Yeah, because he shoots. Albert runs at him, and he Mm -hmm. shoots him, and Albert goes down, and he's like, am I shot? And he's subdued again at that point. And he was shot, but the gunpowder didn't ignite, so the bullet just sort of bounces off of him. Uh, And then Dinah's like, hey, it's still getting louder. And... I think Albert goes, oh, we got to go back to the plane, but he won't tell them why. Mm. So some of them go out to the plane and they bring some food and whatnot with them. Uh-huh. And there's they, there's like a pocket of the presence inside the plane. Uh-huh. So the bubbles come back to the soda, the food tastes good, and we see them talk about it for like five minutes. And I'm just like, hey, guys, the sound's getting louder. Like they can now hear it. It's mm-hmm. not just Dinah that can hear right. it at this point. They can hear it. And um, and we start giving them a name at this point, which is the Langoliers, which is what Craig, Craig's dad told him that lazy boys are, and girls are eaten by Langoliers. They'll come and get you. They're the boogeymen, right. basically. So they call them the Langoliers. The Langoliers are coming. And so they're like, okay, well, let's move everything they can refuel the plane. They just have to give the fuel a little bit of time in the plane to bring it back to the present and out of the past, and then it should ignite and they should be able to fly back. And then, so Brian, the problem is now they have to suck the engine into the plane. And I knew as suck soon the as... Suck the engine into the plane? Or suck, suck the gas, fuel. In, the fuel okay. into the plane. And I knew... From 
something. Well, part of it was when he said that he needed a hundred thousand pounds of fuel. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's a lot. And it's suctioned into the plane. It's suctioned out of the ground. And I'm like, that's going to take like two hours. And I don't know that they have two hours. And so they start getting that ready and they're going to get everybody onto the, uh, uh, onto the plane. And the others go to get, okay, that's when they, that's when they go to check on Craig and Don is killed. And, and, um, What's his name? Albert is, uh, wounds him, hits him in the head with this thing, knocks him out. Uh, but he doesn't kill him, but he thinks he does. He thinks he's killed him and he feels really shitty about it. But then Nick, the spy comes and says, no, 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 you're fine. It's fine. But Dinah had said, oh, he stabs Dinah as well. He stabs Dinah first, maybe. And she, he stabs her in the abdomen, Mm -hmm. this little girl. And kills Don. Albert subdues him, leaves him unconscious, and then they go and bring Dinah back to the plane. So Dinah's on the plane, bleeding. She's got wet blood on her mouth the whole time. Yes, and I'm like, which was really kind of disturbing. Could somebody dab her mouth or something? Like, what is happening? Um, and Dinah had said, even after she'd been stabbed, don't kill Craig, we're going to need him. That's what she said, which is fucking ominous as shit. The sound is getting louder and louder, and the time is ticking down and down, and they might have enough gas, but they're not sure, and everybody gets on the plane that's still alive, um, except Craig, and then Dinah puppeteers Craig. So she goes into his head, and makes him see the meeting that he was going to and like pushes him to go out onto the tarmac and have this whole conversation with people that, and nobody knows what's happening. Right. She's talking in in her sick um, state and they're like, oh, she must be dreaming or something. And then they see Craig run out and he's talking and crawling and doing all this stuff. And they're like, what is happening? That's when I realized, I think this is the point when I realized that they did not do a table read Mm -hmm. and that some of the people in this movie didn't read their lines with other people or understand what their lines actually were. Because the young woman, what's her name again? Dreadlock McGee, what's her name? Bethany, Bethany Bethany Sims. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Says, she says, she is dreaming, isn't she? And the line should have been read, she is dr- she is dreaming, isn't she? Like, or better yet, she's dreaming. She's well, yes, but it, but the, it's not. She didn't come to the realization mm. that oh, she is dreaming, which is how she sounds. Right. She's asking, "This is fucking weird, and it is a dream, right?" Because if it's not a dream, I'm even more fucking freaked out than I mm. already was. That is the reading that it should have been, and that is not the reading that she gave. And yeah. I was like, "Oh, she doesn't." understand the context of the sentence she just said we're two hours in (laughs) that's not good um and then we see the langoliers y'all now i can give this piece of advice to people Uh, don't show the monster if you if the monster's bad (laughs) there's that (laughs) okay Don't, don't show the monster the monster's bad you can structure a Steven. terrifying horror movie yeah. without ever showing a monster. Yeah. 1960, there's a film called The Haunting. Yes, of course. by Robert Wise. You don't see the Anything. ghost at all. Yeah. But it is terrifying. It is terrifying. Yeah. So... Even Steven Spielberg, I know he's not your favorite, uh, but he knew better than to use the fake shark when it looked like crap. Right. And so, it works better. It's a better movie. <laughs> what we have in the end, and the scene with the uh, high tension wires being torn down, yeah, was very impressive. Yes, that was cool. Like that we, was, they start seeing that's a very practical effect. Yes, though. over the mountain that's off um, at the end of the runway, they start seeing yes, those mm-hmm. big tower, what uh, the high tension yeah. wires, towers coming down, right. 
And so something is destructive which is I coming towards. I think is a visual them. reference. Uh, it usually is when you're involving the to wife. To Gojira? Yes. <laughs> which is one of the more famous. As a matter of fact, that's even in the song, Gojira song. But um, when you actually see the Langoliers, it's very primitive CGI. They look like spiky walnuts. They, They're being attacked by walnuts with mouths. They are, they are like Pac-Man's... Yes. B- like scarier brother, their their mouths, their teeth are mirrors, like they're, and they're metallic, buzz saws as well. and they're like buzz saws. So mm-hmm. they're like constantly rotating around this big mouth area. It's it's, it's a mouth a, that opens. It's a design that makes zero sense. The mouth opens in several directions at once. And I imagine that had it been at this point a practical effect, it probably would be really disturbing looking. Yes, it looked more organic. However, it does look exactly like what it is which is a CGI image that's yeah. very glassy yeah. and doesn't... One of the big failures in early CGI is that it's not, and still is a problem to this yeah. day, it doesn't have the same lighting as the objects around right. it because it's separate. Right. And so these things do not in any way look like they're interacting. They're not interacting with, with the, their, with the right. landscape. And so they come through and they just tear holes but like lines right, they, they, through things. Mm. And the idea is that they feed on the past, right. what's not necessary for us anymore, right? And now they're stuck in the past. They're, and they're eating through get the tarmac, so the plane is going to have a problem taking off. Is what. And the idea, I guess, is that... And they do end up taking off. They manage to make it mm-hmm. out because the things attack Craig. So... Dinah has moved him out, and they say it. I mean, they're mm-hmm. real explicit with it. Laurel, I think, is mm-hmm. like, they would have attacked the plane and t- and torn us apart if Craig wasn't there. Right. Like, okay, thank you for telling me that in English words to my face. I appreciate it. Now, Dinah um, doesn't survive this either. So it's not like she gets to reap the benefits of what happens, and maybe that's the justification for the fact that she... You know, pulls out the character base after saving him the entire time, and that was what I think was problematic for me was that she saved him specifically for the purpose of having him eaten later. Yes, yeah, as a getaway plan. Her getaway plan is to have him be the bait. Yeah, she kept saying, "We need him. We need him." And right. I thought for a second it was that they needed all of the bodies that came right. through but to no, get back, but that is not what it was. Needed the, she him needed him to, to be a take, distraction. Yes. Um, who probably dies horribly, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. We hear that. screaming. And, and he, that's the thing. In the hallucination, he is like gets up on the table and he's like, I lost that money deliberately. What the fuck are you going to do about it? And I'm like, why? And to which though? his boss, who is played by... I don't know. Stephen King. Oh, that's right. It was him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Right. Is questioning him how you could do... It's How just, could you do that? It's yeah. It's really poorly staged because yeah. it's... A group of actors sitting on a tarmac with a, 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 a table. conference table, yeah. yeah, a conference table, and yelling at him, and it's just overdone. And everything about it, that scene was overdoing it. But I'm sorry, the, the worst CGI is probably not that scene. I think it has to do more with the giant glowing vagina. I actually don't have a problem with that because it's a rift in space. What mm-hmm. I, I don't know well, what no, that no, looks but like. What That's... I mean is that. The imagery of this long cylindrical object flying directly into the long, yeah, no, it was object. a little bit like really. And there's a lot of pi- times in this film where the CGI airplane, while it's flying, oh, they keep showing exterior like shots of the airplane, and don't do that, guys. If you don't have actual stock footage of the outside of an airplane, please don't draw one and then make me look at it. There's no reason for it except to take me right the fuck out of this movie. Right, and this film has enough of a problem as it is keeping you grounded in it. It does. Because the whole time I'm like, um, why are we still having this conversation? Why are we not fucking moving? Well, it's a problem when your audience is a step ahead of you. Yes. In a mystery. Yeah. It's not bad when it's other films. It could make sense. You know, you're watching a horror film. It, well, the thing maybe. the thing is, though, we were a step ahead because I think we knew the story. Well, I didn't, but yeah, I don't. the The internal logic isn't there, so you're even if your audience is ahead of you, they got there by luck. Right. It wasn't like they solved it first because there's no solve. You yeah. just have to. 
be like, well, this must, and, and that's the other thing is he's a, he's a, a mystery writer and he deduces for a living. And I'm like, your deduction skills are wild, sir, because he just says all this, like, well, clearly we're in a time rift. That's right. obviously okay, what's so, happened because, well, he uh, starts by <laughs> his first attempt at solving the mystery was this is all a hoax perpetuated by the U.S. government right. and the and the pilot is in on it. But um, I think it was because the pilot was also asleep. Right. That couldn't have been it or something like that. It was something where it was like, oh, well, that. So we, we discount the real, the, the, the super conspiracy theory real world possibility and go straight to, well, obviously then it's time travel. Right. Oh, of course. <laughs> like, My second guess. And the kid is like, well, you clearly know what you're talking about. And I'm like, why does he? He's not a science fiction writer. Why would he? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I wild. Um, they end up flying up and... Like I, <laughs> the, the they, they're flying away from the Earth and the uh, Langoliers are eating the Earth behind them. But also they're flying east to west. So that was the other thing that, that they did have some interesting things about time where like it was they probably in the time that we watch them, it, they have a there's a whole day. Like mm-hmm. night doesn't ever really even hit before dawn happens again. There's like a whole day that happens and they're like, but it feels like 11 o'clock in the morning. And they talk about, well, that's just because we went, you yeah. know, we it's jet lag. And he's like, no, no, no. If you go the way that we went, it's the opposite. We, we feel the opposite way, which is interesting because that the time zones are mm-hmm. deeply confusing to me. Like, like, I get it. If you tell me what time it is, I understand that's what time it is. But also like. It's fucking weird that you can cross an international date line and shit. Like, that's wild. Um, Yeah, that fucking Australia is already tomorrow. And, like, what? What? It's it's crazy to me. And I think that he may have been real fucking high and thinking about time zones when when he conceptualized this film. Yeah, or this this story. Um, So there's some interesting stuff there, but... um, so they they get they fly away, they watch out the window as the Langoliers destroy everything, but also there's still something in front of them. Mm-hmm. So it's unclear sort of where the delineation there is, but they maneuver back, and when they're getting over the Mojave Desert, they do see the big glowing uh, vagina in the sky. Mm-hmm. Vagina in the sky with diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they 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 head right toward at which toward it at which point Bob goes no <laughs> and he has to do a fucking U turn in a plane that's not safe y'all and he was like um so we were asleep when <laughs> we went through it and if we go back I don't know what's gonna happen to us but it won't restore us to where we were we'll either jump ahead or I don't know I don't know what. That was again, just one die. of the points where the logic, so we have to be asleep. Yes, we have to be asleep. And the only way that they think that they, that they can all get to sleep and really be asleep, because they were like, well, I'm not fucking tired. I've just gone through a lot. Dinah has died, by the way. Dinah, succumb to her wounds. Sorry, little girl. Handicapped people and black people, you're not making it through this movie. Nope, nope, nope. And they're like, well, we have to drop the pressure. We have to drop the pressure in the in the plane, and then uh, the pilot is like, "Well, how am I gonna? F- we're not gonna have a lot of time between the time we get through this and the time I'm gonna have to land us at LAX." And they they settle on the fact that Spy Nick will be will stay awake and will turn the because they're going to drop the cabin pressure and mm-hmm. he'll turn the pressure right back up right as they're going through the rift and then he will right blink out of existence die who knows who knows who knows okay now is when we decide we have to culminate all of our romantic storylines so albert and bethany they're kissing each other i think at this point and holding each other Probably badly but yeah 
And we knew that was going to happen. And then Laurel and Nick have to have a moment because Laurel was going to Boston to meet a man she met in a newspaper. Uh, I want to call it a one ad, but what are they called? Like a, like not misconnection, like a personal, a personal mm-hmm. ad. So she's going to Boston to meet a man she did not know. And, but then she feels something for Nick and she thinks there, there could be something. So they kiss. And then he says, tell my parents that I try to make, father. or tell my father uh-huh. in the, at the, in this little town in Ireland, Wales. I no, think. Wales. I'm sorry. Yes. Wales. That um, I I tried to make up for the red in my ledger, and I'm like, oh, that's like, that's like Black Widow. <laughs> He's definitely a spy because only people with red in their ledger are spies. <laughs> that's what that means. I wonder if the Marvel universe took this that from this. That'd be wild. <laughs> um, and then he, and then they kiss and kiss and kiss. But now, this entire time, they're getting closer and closer and closer to having to pass through this time warp, so this is a huge waste of yes, time. Yes, so much waste. Yes. There's a time and a place, y'all. This is neither. Because you know what? You won't have a future. So it they they everybody gets knocked out, and Nick is breathing through the thing, and he's like, it's so beautiful. Which makes it's it even so funnier as beautiful. he's flying into the vagina. Thing. Yeah. He goes on about how beautiful And then, yes, <laughs> and then he disappears, and Brian wakes up, and they land the plane. Right. And um, there's still nobody. Mm-hmm. But the light is different. There's echoes. That was the other thing. Yeah. There was no echoes. There's sound. There's flavor, and so he, Bob, once again, Dean Stockwell, pushes them all up against the wall, uh-huh. and it's like, wait, 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 I think time is catching up with us. Once again, what? What? Well, it just kept on slipping into the future. But if they're experiencing time linearly as mm-hmm. well, and time hasn't caught up with them, it would never catch up with them. But apparently, as soon as it catches up with them, it starts going the same speed as them again. Right. Y'all, what? I love time travel. This is deeply infuriating to me. And then two onlooking children see them like poof into existence or whatever. And then uh, they run happily through the airport, like holding hands and yeah. going out into the world. And I'm like, I think they're probably in a different dimension. I don't think this is going to be what they think it's going to be. Also, I'm pretty sure they're still all covered in child blood. So let's tone this joy down just yeah, a just skosh. Like, there's, <laughs> there's three people dead, and they act as if nothing's wrong, I guess. Yeah. So um, so that's that's all Langoliers. Right, so. And I think they end on a fucking freeze frame of all right, of them. Like, frame, like you're watching it, you know. A, like the end of a sitcom episode. Right. It's wild. I have to say I didn't care for it. It was really poorly done, I think. It's could have been done very quickly. And let me tell you why I didn't care for it. Okay. All right. And this will, I'll try to keep it brief. In 1959, there's an episode of The Twilight Zone called The Sky Was Opened, and The Sky Was Opened. What was frustrating about this, epi- this, this movie to me was it seemed to be recycled elements from other things. Mm-hmm. It owed a lot to The Twilight Zone to two episodes in particular, the mm-hmm. Odyssey of Flight 33 and earlier, and when the sky was open, to where there are actual scenes from those episodes in the Langoliers. It owed a lot to the airport films, which is a series of movies that started in the 70s. There were several of them. I think there were five altogether. And they all featured a group of actors playing just really disparate characters. A monk, a nun, um... A crippled girl who's it's going the to the way that you would start a joke in the right. 1950s or but whatever. The thing is, it was the, the there were soap operas basically with action elements where the plane's going to crash if we don't do something. And each successive airport movie, the, the threat got more and more ridiculous. It started with the plane might crash, and it wound up with the plane got you know crashed into the ocean, and it's going to fill with water if we don't keep all the airtight windows contained. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that. It just got successively more ridiculous as films went on and they just gave up on the series. But it felt very much like it was borrowing elements from that too. Put a cast of really different characters in there and have them sit and talk for a while and have these soap opera moments. 
I don't even think there were soap opera moments. I really well, don't. I really did feel that at the very end of it, particularly with um, with the romance element with Patricia Wedding. Oh, yeah, and that was... This is a woman who won three Primetime Emmy Awards and one Golden Globe for her performances. Mm-hmm. And you would not know that. From I watching wouldn't. I would. I would know I, that. This this performance. Yeah, she was. She because at least she knew also, what all of her lines meant. Yes, but she also was just asked to do very to do more with very little material. It felt to me like her and Dean Stockwell and David Morse, who's a really good actor, were kind of reduced to doing just the barest minimum to make a character. And some of the other actors here, Christopher Collett and others, I've seen do better jobs other places, so it was kind of disappointing. And then as you brought up, the special effects were not ready no, for they what they, they... The idea would be interesting the way it was visualized had it been done another way. But the way they chose to do them, to use what was cutting edge at the time, it just looks bad now. Yeah, it doesn't look good. There's another, even another episode of The Twilight Zone called A Matter of Minutes, mm-hmm. where they find... that. It's a. It's one of the 1985 uh-huh. uh, group where a couple is like. They're like Evie from Out of This World. Right. Like, they don't do it on purpose, but time stops around them. Yes, I yeah. think I remember that one. Yeah, uh, and when the sky was open, it had we've returned in our airplane and nothing's the same, and the airport's empty and everything else. All right. Okay. The, gotcha. of, uh, the Odyssey of Flight uh, 33, I think, which is a really well-written episode uh-huh. because uh, Rod Serling's brother was a pilot. And he brought in a group of actual airplane technicians, sat them in a hotel room, got them liquored up, and had them go through the entire scenario. Okay, we're flying to New York, and all the uh, familiar landmarks disappear. So that episode is said to have the most realistic cockpit dialogue ever. Oh, interesting. So it's actual technical. just brought the treatment to a group of pilots, and they What would you say? Oh, interesting, yeah. In a hotel room, and he recorded the whole thing. So it was actually very clever, but... It just felt like, to me, this is Stephen King reaching a deadline and putting together a bunch of elements of things he was familiar with. Right, and and, and, then, and from even from, like, the Flying Dutchman, right? Mm, like, a right, ghost ship. Right, back even farther. Yeah. Um, but, Which, tell a story that's been told right. before. I'm fine with but that. that's fine if you had done more. It just sort of felt like, at this point, it was a paint-by-numbers kit. Yeah, yeah. Of stick this character, well, stick this that character. Well, this was written when he was heavily... Into uh-huh. drugs. So, so this probably also meant that he was just doing shorthand at this point. Also, it's not a full novel. It's from Four Past Midnight. Okay. It's a novella. Um, along with The Library Policeman, Secret Window, Secret Garden, which we will watch a thing for, mm-hmm. and The Sundog. Uh, so... Yeah. Yeah, so... It, not in his greatest no. um, time. Right. Strictly horror. Strictly horror with elements of the supernatural. But also, yeah, the, the fact that they don't really talk about what's going on with her shining mm-hmm. and how that well, works. Gets left well, we're spending five minutes going, mm. ooh, the soda's bubbly again. It's right. the most delicious beer I've ever had. This, that, and the, I'm just like... It's why are we not? Why are we yeah. focused on shit that I don't care about and yeah. not explaining the stuff that's like fundamentally going on? So yeah, that's a, a little bit frustrating. So that is the end of the Langoliers. And next time, do you know what we're watching next? No, I don't know. What we're watching. It's a secret. No, it's thinner. We will be watching thinner, thinner. which is problematic. Yes, and we'll be discussing how problematic it is. We're going to do our best not to use the slur gypsy because it is, in fact, a slur. So, yes, at least it has the benefit of not being boring. It is not. Um, We are going to take next week off because we are entering Christmas. I need a break. Mm -hmm. So, we will be be back in two weeks with our thinner episode. And once again, if you guys know where the Night Flyer is, let me know because I think I'm going to have to buy the DVD. And I'm not super, super excited about it. Um, do you have anything to You know, I don't. Recommend. It was such a busy week, and I didn't get to the movies this weekend like we usually do. So I really can't say, uh, although I would recommend going to Netflix and looking at the Twilight Zone episodes we just mentioned. Oh, there you go. There's, they're a lot of fun. They're, bo- they're very well written. 
and it has all the elements that are missing from this particular story. It's not saying that Stephen King fails on the whole. It's just that sometimes he was writing for money. And clearly that's what was going on here is that there was... Well, I don't think that that's actually accurate. I think he writes because he feels the need to write, but sometimes it can go in a drawer. (laughs) Sometimes it can go in a drawer. Yeah, it doesn't need to. (laughs) This didn't need to see the light of day necessarily. But what did you... Did you have uh, something to recommend this week? Um, We finished Castle Rock. It's very good. We will yes. be talking about it, but I do recommend it. Yeah, I, I didn't want to say anything because I thought, oh God, we're going to have to talk about it later anyhow. Yeah, So, but other than that, no, I haven't been watching much because I've mm. been sewing and playing games, so my intake. Also, I don't know if we've talked about it on, on here, the CBS, CBS show, mm-hmm. Evil? Yes. Oh yeah, we have, but... It's a lot of fun. It they is. just had their fall finale, and it was pretty good. So I recommend that if you haven't checked it out. Um, you can catch up before it comes back in January or whenever it comes back. Um, and that's it. Yes. All right. Um, you can find us if you want to talk to us or tell me where the night flyer might be found uh, uh, at latecomerspod at gmail.com or at latecomerspod on Twitter. You can find us at latecomerspodcast on Facebook. Um that's all. I remind you, please take your medicine and be good to yourself over the holiday. Merry Christmas. Happy holiday. Happy Yule. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Happy everything. No war on Christmas here. And we remind you, better, better late, late than never. never.